Hey folks, let's face it. We're all writers, even if our title doesn't say it. Whether we're authors writing a story, screenplay, novel, working on a press release, website copy, or just revising an email for a boss to get a raise, writing has become a huge part of our day-to-day responsibilities. Just like any other skill, writing doesn't get better without instruction and practice. That's why our friends at Marketing Profs University created Marketing Writing Bootcamp. This online course starts June 11th. And you'll learn from over a dozen of the best and brightest instructors in the world of marketing writing. You'll get tons of great writing tips, new techniques for enhancing your writing style, and will learn to write with a relentless focus on your audience. Plus, because it's entirely online, you can learn from your computer, tablet, smartphone, whatever's easiest for you. If you're stuck on the train, hey, why don't you use that time to get smarter, you dummy? As a special offer to the Nerdist Writers Panel listeners, visit mprofs.com. M-P-R-O-F-S dot com slash Nerdist and use the promo code Nerdist, N-E-R-D-I-S-T, when you enroll to save $200 on Marketing Writing Bootcamp. Plus, you get over $1,000 worth of Marketing Prof seminars, classes, video tutorials free just for registering. course begins June 11th. There are 13 classes, each of about 30 or 40 minutes. It's entirely online. Um, This is the fifth year they've held the class. Uh, You get some great uh, instructors. Each class is taught by a subject matter expert specific to that topic. And you get a certificate upon the completion of the course. You get over $1,000 in freebies just for registering, including seminars, tutorials, additional writing classes, how-to guides, stuff like that. It's ideal for anyone who writes as part of their job responsibilities, which, as I said at the beginning of this, is everyone. Go to mprofs.com slash Nerdist. Now entering Nerdist.com. Hey, the Nerdist Comics Panel is coming to C2E2. Will you be there? Will you be there on Sunday, April 26th? Will you be there Sunday, April 26th from 1.15 to 2.15 p.m.? Then come join me and Heath Corson and Mark Wade and some other special surprise guests in room S403 at C2E2, uh, where we're going to have a live Nerdist Comics panel. It should be a lot of fun. Um, we, I will be there with the Thrilling Adventure Hour, which is doing all kinds of things all weekend, uh, including live shows, improv shows, an uh, adaptation of the Sparks Nevada comic, which is from Image, which is available right now. Uh, so stop by our booth, or uh, just come to the stuff and come see us and, you know, get things signed and take pictures and whatever. But come see the shows. They're going to be great. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com and click on Get Tickets on Tour for more information. Hope to see you in Chicago next week. Hey, everyone. This is Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers panel. I myself am a television writer, having written for such shows as Supernatural, Nickelodeon's Super Ninjas, and I'm currently working for the DreamWorks program Puss in Boots, which is available right now via Netflix. Uh, Check it out. It's pretty fun. I am also the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage show in the style of old-time radio uh, that is available as a podcast here on the Nerdist Network. For information about the Thrilling Adventure Hour, go to thrillingadventurehour.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blecker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions, and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. I'll say this, and this will start to sort of uh, kick us off. Um, Diane Ruggiero is here. Hi. Welcome back. Hi. People just heard from you a couple weeks ago. Okay. Are you saying this uh, in now our for South real? By, I'm saying this on oh the air. Oh, my God. 
on our South by Southwest panel. I'm so confused because I'm looking at these you know, thinking yeah, I should have them on or there should be a we're light. Just hanging out. Okay. We're having a good time. Good. It's on. It's happening. Um, and we were just talking about our South by Southwest panel, which yes. turned out to be really good. I literally just thought it was going to be one dude with a small bag of sour cream and onion potato chips saying, why are we talking about comics? They said comics. I know. But it was there all were very several, confusing. There were several people. Yeah, yes. good turnout, and they asked great questions. But um, on that panel with you uh, was Sarah Shapiro, who was Who's fantastic. Amazing. She was so great, and she's so smart. And I. Well, this is what you've been saying. I have a writer crush and on I her agree. now. <laughs> and I agree. But she also is, she talked a lot about being an independent filmmaker and mm-hmm. coming from independent film. And I feel like there is a very different sort of personality for people who came up in television uh, as opposed to those who are sort of steeped in the film world. Yeah. Is there a television personality, do you think? I don't know if there's a, t- I have to honestly slay, I d- say it slay, I have to slay that I don't know too many in, I, mean, I know a couple, but it's not like I hang out in that circle. Mm-hmm. But I think that I definitely was more, when I was first starting out and still trying to write movies mm-hmm. and still thinking in that mindset, uh, I was a lot more creative and a lot more free with my idea and a lot more optimistic. I think that's true. And and now I'm cynical and thinking about <laughs> what sells and how, you know, and just thinking right. that better be. Yes, that's that's that inner dialogue is amazing, but what's the act break? Because mm-hmm. after Palmolive, we need them to come back, you know? But there is so, something to that, right? Because yeah. you're, it, it's, it's a machine. It's a uh, machine. Especially working in network television. And And I feel like, Network television is changing too. There's a few shows that I watch. One is a, a guilty pleasure that I can't believe how short the scenes are. I feel like the, the scene, every scene is mm-hmm. a, is a page, and I can't believe how quickly they get through everything. Yeah. And it makes you feel kind like wow. Okay, things that the pace has sped up, and I need Absolutely. to to get going. Especially but, yeah, especially on a network show, a yeah. mass appeal show. But then you also have, I mean, and this is why it's a great time in TV. I was watching yeah. Better Call Saul last night, which had this twelve-minute scene that was dialogue between two people, and probably one of the best scenes ever. Of course, of course. yeah. I don't. It's it's amazing. It's so thank God for for the, how television is now, like the scope of television, <laughs> yeah. what you could do. There's room. There's room for everybody. So she might not have to compromise Absolutely. her artistic Which integrity, and I might be able to once again have <laughs> artistic integrity. Um, well, I guess this but, is um, sort of the other question: is like, are the rules out the out the window? I don't know. I feel like there, I feel like it depends on what you're doing. I feel like if you're going out with a pitch that you that is a pitch that you can take to cable, it's a different animal. I don't think you're pitching the same show to the to every, you're not going out anymore and just taking the same pitch everywhere. Right. You're going out and you have your cable pitch and you have your your network pitch. You can't mm-hmm. take the same. And if you do, if you have the same pitch that you want to take to um as, as I say that I'm thinking about the new show on ABC that is sounds like such a cable pitch that American yeah, American, American crime. crime. Yeah. But I still think there's certain things that you obviously can't do. And um, But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely, if I were taking a pitch out, sometimes I might have the cable version of it and mm-hmm. and then the network version of it. I think that makes sense. It really yeah. does. And, and <clears throat> yeah, as much, as much as there are now so many more avenues to go, each thing is sort of branded in its way. I mean, I'm thinking also of iZombie, mm-hmm. which that was always going to be a CW show. That was always that, right? going to, that yeah. was always. Um, but there was, there was a trick, and we sort of talked about this when we talked at South by Southwest, about 
taking the stuff that was in the source material, mm-hmm. the stuff that you and Rob are interested in, mm-hmm. uh, both together and individually, and what makes a CW show, and putting those things together, that's a, that's a real tricky <laughs> process. It's a tricky process, but in a way it makes it easier because mm-hmm. when you're just left to your own devices and you can do absolutely sure. anything you want, that's a that's a lot of places you can go. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and I think it was helpful for us to have that those kind of parameters mm-hmm. and ha- kept us on our toes a little and made us think make yeah. specific decisions and So what was the stuff um, we talked about the stuff that you are interested in, the zombie stuff especially. Yes. Um, but what was the what was the CW aspect of it? Actually, they didn't. They were pretty great. I mean, they didn't ask for anything specifically. They right. were so excited, especially coming off of the Veronica Mars movie, and mm-hmm. Rob could not be hotter right now. So mm-hmm. I think everyone was just interested in hearing what the take was. And as soon as we told them to take they were just on board there was never any directive there was never they didn't yeah they didn't rein us in at all and uh, when they gave when they originally went to rob with the the comic susan rovner at warner brothers came to rob with the comic and she said um, she very clearly said you could do whatever you want with it we love the the main idea we Mm -hmm. we love the title but you don't have to there's there's nothing that we're we're married to about it other than oh, highly functioning zombie girl, <laughs> and um, so it was we were pretty wide open. I think for me personally, being a comic book fan and reading the comic and becoming a fan of it, while I knew a lot of it wouldn't transfer, wouldn't translate rather to television, mm-hmm. I still felt this weird guilt. Like I wanted Chris to be cool with it, and yeah. I felt like oh man, he spent <laughs> all this time creating this world, and he does such a great did such a great job of it. The book has has fans, yeah. I felt almost I was concerned about being disrespectful, but at the same time, you just have to do you know, it's an adaptation, you just have to do what's best for the show and the longevity of the show and oh, and, and your ability to write it, and I don't think I could have written if it was a strict adaptation, I don't know if I would have been the right person for that mm-hmm. For that, um, maybe, yeah, actually <laughs> well, come I to also, think of it <laughs> the sure fan fiction I wrote great. did pretty well so I'm thinking I might have <laughs> Knock that out of the park, but it was—it's it's definitely. Know that it would have worked on TV. Yesterday. I just keep thinking about yeah. how crappy the Wear Terrier would have looked, yeah. and it's just—it's fun in the comic, but I don't know on TV how it would have worked. And I have a friend, Anna Fricky, who did Being Human, mm-hmm. and I just would constantly think that I would constantly feel like I would have to go to her house and say, "See, it was a book. I didn't steal from you. <laughs> it was—it was a comic yeah, that just right. happens to be very similar." Um, well, sorry, she stole it from the British one. Yes. Oh, my God. I had the funny... Can I just tell you a quick story? Oh, my God. So my friend Liz Tigalar was having a premiere... I was having a premiere party for her at my house. And so there was a lot of people I didn't know that were her friends and a lot of writer friends. And so I was watching the British being human at the time and was madly in love with it, could not have been more obsessed with it, and had heard that they, that they were doing an adaptation. And I walked by this very cute couple and this other these other people, and they're talking about it. And I stopped long enough to say, oh, my God, did you hear that they're adapting it for American television? I'm so pissed off. And it was Anna Fricky and Jeremy Carver. And thus began our friendship. So, <laughs> And then and their show was amazing, and I they loved it. And I was just a little, I think part of me might have been, I was just, I don't, now I never open my mouth because I've done that like twice. You really know how um, to make friends. Oh, my God. And I, I could not have been, I wasn't even drunk. Like, it was just, the party had just started. They were there for two minutes. I think I was holding, like, a plate of, like, wiener, like, little wiener dogs on with toothpicks in them and just oh really screwed Amazing. the pooch. Nice but they, they couldn't have been lovelier. Um, were you, we didn't really talk about stuff you were into growing up that sort of helped 
form what you do now. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. The first, my, when I was doing Veronica Mars, my mom, who is incredibly sweet, um, she watched the show. I don't think it was necessarily her thing, mm-hmm. but she, she watched it. And the first time she saw it, she saw one of my episodes and she said, I just think it's so, it's very interesting, Diane. It's just the perfect job for you. You always loved Scooby-Doo. <laughs> so so to my, it, was to my, <laughs> it was my Saturday morning cartoon watching in my mother's mind That's that really hilarious. set me up for Veronica Mars. Were you but, a big um, TV and movie kid? Yeah, I was, it was probably too much. But I think I told you the last time, the first thing, the first TV show I ever wrote was when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and it was The Love Boat Takes... I'm sorry, the Charlie's Angels Take the Love Boat to Fantasy Island, uh-huh. which, again, is... I would watch today. Yeah, look, we'd all watch. We'd that. all let's just face it. We'd all watch that. But um, yeah, I was super, super into all of it and mm-hmm. watched everything. And, I, and my sisters are eleven and twelve years older than me, so it was that kind of great thing where I got to watch the kids' stuff and be into the kids' stuff. But I had this in, adult influence that was always coming in. I remember when I was, well, what, what year did Saturday Night Fever come out? Seventy eight. Six. Let's say uh, let's say seven. Uh, Maybe let's split the difference and say seven. Um, my mom took my friends to see that movie for my birthday. So like my seventh birthday and, um, which is insane when you think about it, but my sisters had already seen it and my mother wanted us to see the dancing. So she took us all and then had my sisters tell us when it was the dirty part so that we would leave the room and parents were just like losing their minds and it was this whole big thing. (laughs) But I, so I was seeing, you know, adult movies. My sisters would take me to see rated R movies on like, they'd be on dates. They'd take me to see rated R movies Mm -hmm. and I would just sit there and be... That's probably why I curse so much. Let's blame my sisters yeah. being horrible babysitters. You were never told no. In fact, it was encouraged by... It was encouraged. I, I was practically forced. <laughs> exactly. Was there stuff that made a big impact on you I, that you were sort of chasing? Well, I'm not... That? I would say that I'm not chasing, cause, uh, mm-hmm. but, I mean, Star Wars, obviously. Mm-hmm. My father always tells the story that I, I stood for the entire movie. It started, oh and I got out of my God. chair and stood up, and I stood the whole time with my mouth open and he jokes it's the only time I, in my life I didn't eat because <laughs> I, I practically like ate through my own birth but the Star Wars movie like bucket of popcorn candy soda and I just stood there like staring with my mouth open and probably would do the same That's right amazing. now if I saw it in a theater How funny. Um, but it's not something I've chased and that I've never tried to write a mm-hmm. Star Wars but um uh that's definitely something that was hugely inspirational to me. But also, I mean, is it weird to say television and for television? I mean, Charlie's Angels was something as yeah. a kid that I thought I remember would remember thinking about stories that I wanted to that I wanted to see and, and actually seeing episodes and thinking what they should have done was this. And with the even watching Wonder Woman, I mean, I was reading Wonder Woman comics and watching Wonder Woman and was wishing that the comics I had started as a kid. I wasn't reading. Um, Wonder Woman from the 70s. I'm, I'm 44, so I wasn't reading, like, even though I had those comics, mm-hmm. the comics that I loved were the Golden Age comics. Yeah. So I was really wishing that the show was a Golden oh, Age show a bit. <laughs> even though I still loved it, I was wanting it to be a little more retro. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so were you always writing? Yes. I was always, I mean, always. You, you wrote your uh, fanfic. I wrote my fanfic. <laughs> I wrote, I think I told you this the last time, too. I did a lot of... Um, <laughs> fake musicals, which I, I oh. would take. I think I told you the on the radio thing. Didn't I no. tell you that? Oh well, 
Um, one of my favorite things that I wrote was Donna Summers on the radio. That album had oh, that, right, yeah, right. you know, her sitting on a radio. Yes. And I told you that story. <laughs> I won't repeat it. But um, but I did. I wrote. Um, I rewrote. <laughs> I wrote a, a different book to Saturday Night Fever before seeing the movie. I had oh I God, I wrote great. a musical to Abba Gold, which is so that funny that they went. Yeah, like I'd like to think that I was supremely ahead of my time with these things. Um, Fleetwood Mac rumors. I had a whole like I would take my sister's albums and I would then really write uh, you know write a story for them and thought I could sing, which I could not sing. And but you're a kid. Who cares? But I'm a kid. But it was very atone. Like, so did you funny. see the movie Atonement? You know how the girl, first of all, best music ever, that typewriter music is just so how I hear writing. <laughs> you know, like that's oh me every day. But uh, that's how I was so into it and so diligent about it and took it so seriously. But everything I did was like, obviously, oh, it's going to get made and be on Broadway. And I know I'm only nine, but let's face it, this is fantastic. So, um, And this yeah. was in New Jersey. This is in New, Jersey, New Jersey, yeah. Um, were you aware, and were you going to Broadway shows too? No, that's the really? funny thing about that's it. I wasn't even, it wasn't like my parents were taking me to Broadway shows. I did the plays in high school and, yeah. and things like that, but I still, I knew it existed. Yeah. I just, oh, and had really a very, um, it was it was a very fantastical mm-hmm. idea of how it was, but sure. I still, yeah. So were you aware, going to see lots of movies, watching lots of TV, were you aware that these were things that were written and that that was something people could do? I wasn't aware of that until, I, I guess I was loosely aware of that, but we had a friend of the family, his name is Tommy Sergio, and he wrote that, that movie Untamed Heart with Christian mm-hmm. Slater. And prior to doing that, he had written another screenplay like five years before, and I had a huge crush on him. He was a friend of the family. He was nine years older than me, <laughs> which I thought, like, that's not really, you know. Yeah, that's surmountable. That's surmountable. <laughs> I'm 10. He's 19. What's the problem, people? Um, <laughs> but, or you know, at that time I was 12, and he was, uh, you that's know. So, so um, he had a screenplay, and I was desperate to read it, and mm. I read it, and that's when um, I used to use that for years as just a, I would copy the format of yeah, it. Of how, you so get that one thing. You get that one thing and you copy it religiously. Yeah. I remember it was just, but it, it was literally like gauze by the time I, I moved out to California. I still had it. Cause That's I, so funny. um, but, and by the way, who know? I didn't even have, who knows if he was right. <laughs> he could have been writing it wrong. Of and course. Yeah. But you're, you're looking at something. You're looking at something that... Made, it's physical it's too, physical. which goes a long way. And this was before you could go and buy screen. You couldn't yeah. go to Barnes & Nobles and just pick up a, a little, you know, a nice bound copy of Sleepless in Seattle with Meg Ryan already on the cover. Because, you know, it's... So, yeah, I just used his, his screenplay. But it wasn't until... I, so I guess in my um, early adolescence, and then... One of the things that kind of blew my mind was I. We had this speech and drama class, and um, my teacher, Miss Reich, was this amazing, very influential person in my life. But she, they did the same play every year because it had to have enough sure. kids for the play. <laughs> and so I lied and told her I had this play that had twenty three characters, and then I faked mono and wrote it. But it was, it was this thing. It's, 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 it's Wait, ridiculous. It was banged this out in like a week. I banged it out in a week. Twenty three <laughs> characters. Ready? It's called. So it's called Snowflakes. And it was a bunch of kids, all different kinds of kids, who get snowed in while decorating for a school dance. And um, and so they're snowed in. Oh God, and I so it. I write it, and she let me direct it, and it was this whole big thing. And then literally um, the weekends before we opened, The Breakfast Club came out. 
And so everybody completely thought I stole it from the Breakfast Club. And I thought, how could I steal it? Like, it didn't even, it's not like now when you're reading about something. I wasn't reading Premiere Magazine or doing anything. But that really put John Hughes on my radar and thought, well, obviously, if I'm so close to what he's writing, I'm doing something right. So every time I became obsessed with John Hughes and every time... um, you know, I thought, well, obviously I have to write the next Ferris Bueller. Obviously I have to every, throughout my, my life. That's what I've been, ch- I've been chasing John Hughes. <laughs> well, but it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like you were just a ravenous consumer of these things. Or I was incredibly lazy and just liked to watch things. That counts, too. <laughs> yeah, like, but I was pretty... I was if you a, hadn't made a career of it, that would be the exactly, case. Exactly. Thank God. Uh, but it, as it is, it's all sort of input. But, like, looking at Star Wars and comic books plus John Hughes, like... That's kind of what you're doing. You know, this is what you've been doing the past 10 years or so. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty fun. Yeah, I guess that's true. That, that's really validating. Thank you. Can you call my parents? <laughs> you're, you're welcome. Get them <laughs> on the phone. Please immediately call my parents. Um, so your story of uh, waitress turned writer is sort of well-trod at this point, I imagine. There have been articles and stuff, and it's a great, it's a great story. And it's people pretty, should yeah. look it up. And so we don't have to delve into it too deeply. But I'm kind of curious about... Um, like, while you were, what were you, like, in your early 20s waiting? Oh, that's right. You said it was later. I was in my late 20s. That's yeah, right. when I sold the first project, I was 29. Were you writing in your 20s? What were you, what were I you was, I did, doing creatively? It's, it's so horrible to say this because then people say, you're not very funny. But I did stand up for a while Poorly, poorly, sometimes successfully. If I invited people, I always sucked. And if I just went on my own to practice, I would knock it out of the park and be and think I was the next Eddie Murphy. But I would. um, Well, that's uh, really interesting. So there's been, it sounds like since high school and even before, there was a sort of performance aspect to. I was. I thought I was. I thought I was an actress. Thank Mm -hmm. God. I realized very early that I sucked because I was. I was so bad. I actually have a video (laughs) of me auditioning. With, for oh this college God. called Davis and Elkins. My poor parents drove me to West Virginia for this audition for this college. And I um, I had big guidette hair, like the, the huge, like two different can- two different kinds of Aquanet, Perfect. like the big earrings because <laughs> I was super into like the Purple Rain hoops that Prince had. And I auditioned doing a monologue from Antigone, which I didn't read the whole play because it's not like you had to know the context <laughs> oh, of it or anything. Oh um, but I did it with a wad of, I forgot to take out my gum. So I had a wad oh of watermelon God. bubble yum in my mouth. And, and so I did that. That's so great. And then I did a monologue for Star Spangled Girl with like mm-hmm. a fake bad Southern accent. Um, yeah, so I, so I realized great. in my very early 20s, like I think on my 21st That's birthday true. possibly, that I was a really crappy actress and that I needed to just, you know, give that up quickly. Because I could see I was writing these little plays and I was in them and directing them and I could see that I was the problem. <laughs> you know, the writer in me was like, this chick's really fucking up my stuff. <laughs> you know, like, we need to, we need to get someone better because she's just not doing that's, a good job. That's really impressive, though, to have that kind of... Uh, you know, self-awareness. Yeah. Of that I mean, age. it's funny because I'm thinking about it. Even then, I was still using music because I had I wrote a, a short play that was about um, uh, "Mean to Me" from Crowded House, which is funny because I met Rose, who's the lead of I Zombie, is, is friends with Neil Finn, awesome. and I met him. And the two things I said to him were, "I named my cat after you," which is not <laughs> a good, which is not a good opening, just no, so you know. No. And then the second one, I, was, I wrote a play about "Mean to Me," and then proceeded to tell him, like, no one wants to hear about the play oh you wrote when you were God. 21. No one. <laughs> and so. Um, uh, that was pretty. That was pretty embarrassing. But I did meet Neil Finn, exactly. and he did autograph a, a 
That's CD nice. for me that I might sleep with. <laughs> um, <laughs> you are still a fan of things. I'm. That's. It's funny because again, Rose from the show thinks that it's so. The thing that she finds endearing about me is I'm. I am a fangirl, and I get super super excited and I but, can't wait to see I'm the person I'll still go opening night you know awesome. even I remember we were doing I forget, I guess we were doing Veronica Mars when the first Transformers movie came out and I was on script but I still went to the midnight showing <laughs> and I was like so you know, you're a discerning fan of things yes but I still I don't care I'm sorry a, a, something turns into a robot and then a car like once you're you start in. transforming Absolutely. yada 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 thank you Megan Fox I want to see that car become a building like you know what I mean like I just like I want to see some but I mean it's just it's funny I'm thinking of Veronica Mars specifically where mm-hmm. you had this intense fan base yes um, and it's very easy to not want to be a part of that as a creator of things to say that intensity puts me off or that intensity scares me as much as you appreciate it. I have to say, I think it screwed me up. I think that's one of the reasons I did a show called the X list after Mm -hmm. I did Veronica Mars, which was very, very different. But I think one of the things that screwed me up on that show was I was so conscious Mm -hmm. of, um, television without pity and all of those things. And, and having read so many comments about things that I could almost hear the notes as I was writing, I could hear what people didn't like about it. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of, Stifling, but um, yeah, with Veronica Mars, it's like you really just you just so wanted to be. I felt like you really just wanted to keep the fans happy, but you also wanted to challenge them, yeah. and, and um, it was it was a little hard not to get caught up in it. But now technology has advanced to the point where I'm terrified of it. So I tried to I tried to live tweet during the um, during the premiere, and half the time I was just responding to my own tweet. Like I didn't do it right because <laughs> I'm a jackass, and so I, and I'm also oh I'm paranoid goodness. about because I had this one weird Twitter thing where I, someone was tweeting for me, mm-hmm. and so I was just pitching jokes, and he was writing them all down. No, no, not all and, of them. And it looked like I made these horrible jokes, like I like, and like these right. horrible, horrible jokes. And then when you have them one behind each other, and back, you know they kept going oh and going, God. and people are twi- twittering like, "Stop making that joke," and and I had no idea because I'm just <laughs> it's like me just talking to Allison, and I so then I just like backed slowly away from the computer oh, and just said, I will no. never tweet again. I, I've like offended people. And I want, I'm like, can I call them? They're like, no, you can't call them, Diana. It's Twitter. I'm call like, I just want to call all those people, like anyone I offended and said, that's not, here's what happened. And like, do not call oh, people from Twitter. Jimmy's but, out um, <laughs> but, um, yeah. So anyway, I was trying to live tweet and oh I was God. so terrified every time that I would show it to my husband, like, is this okay? And, and That's then, also not the way to do and, it. <laughs> and then, so he was saying, you have to put, if you mention someone, you have to put their name because right. then all their fans see it. So I was saying how we named one character on the show Pratt because we had just come in that day to, uh, uh, just it was like a one character in the pilot. And um, we had just come in that day and we were talking about Chris Pratt and Rob and I were both huge fans. And um, and I just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. And Rob was like, okay, enough Chris Pratt, Chris Pratt, let's get to work. And so then we were coming up with character names. Well, we got to call him Pratt just because that was what we were talking about. Sure. And so I said that, and Tim said, you have to put Absolutely. hashtag Pratt, Pratt. whatever, hashtag yeah. ad, whatever the hell it is. And I'm like, he's, and I'm like no, because then he'll, he'll see it. And I couldn't tweet even though the guy was a criminal, because it was live tweeting. And at the end, he's revealed to be the bad guy. So anyway, Tim puts that Pratt, Pratt, Pratt. 
And then literally the first thing at the end is someone says, oh, if you like Chris Pratt so much, how can we named him after this demonic whatever killer? And, and I said, and now Chris Pratt is going to see it. And Tim said, <laughs> my husband had explained to me, I don't think that Chris Pratt yeah. is reading every tweet that mentions him. <laughs> Wouldn't worry about it. I don't think you have to worry about it, but I was well, very concerned. Now he's going to see it. <laughs> well, obviously now he's going to know that it's just from a place of love. Exactly. Um, um, but it's interesting, and I think I talked to Rob about this a little bit around the Veronica Mars movie, when you're dealing with something like that, mm-hmm. which you know was in large part crowdfunded, uh, mm-hmm. funded by fans, um, there's you want to tell the story that you want to tell, but you know you're also telling the story for the fans of the show. I think Rob probably said this better, <clears throat> but Rob definitely, you know, Rob broke the story. Mm-hmm. I just co-wrote it with him. The story yeah. was by was by Rob, so he came to me when he already had decided what he had wanted to do. Um, and I think he was really conscious of just giving them what they wanted. I think if he was making a movie and he could have made whatever, anything that he wanted to do, um, it might've been a different movie and maybe the next one, there's another one, it'll be a little bit different, but he definitely was thinking, I'm going to give the fans what they want. And I think, um, you know, from, it seems like we accomplished that, but I think he was, I mean, not that he didn't want to tell the best Right. story possible obviously that also but he he wanted to make sure they saw who they wanted to see and that it was something mm-hmm. that they would be excited about and feel good about and mm-hmm. feel like they got their money's worth so yeah that makes sense but that's a lot i mean that is a lot of pressure and it was one of those moments where i was like have fun rob <laughs> i'm just gonna write for this i'm just gonna write my little pages and then see you later <laughs> um uh, but uh, it, it was really well received, and he did an amazing job. And oh, I think fans were happy, and, and it was a thrilled. satisfying. It is a satisfying story. It's, it was very satisfying to them, and they got to see. Like I was, as a fan of the show and going yeah. to the premiere, I was so excited. Just the second I see Wallace and Mac, I was like, "Yay, they're back! The band is back together." But um, it, it is definitely a hard when the fans are so invested. It's definitely something that you can't not think about. You sure. Know? Oh, absolutely. You'd be you, I. I wouldn't like it if, if I was, as a fan of television, I would not like it if I wasn't being considered. And there's some shows yeah. that I really enjoyed and then felt like I wasn't being considered and got really pissed off about it, <laughs> you know, yeah. at the end when you're like, really? Hmm. That's what you did? Is it, um, is it that it feels indulgent by the writers or it feels like they're making this, I mean, you I, can say they're making it in a vacuum, no, but he, I don't know. It's more to me, like, I, despite the fact that I do this for a living and have done this for a living for 14 years... I 100% invest. Like, I am not, uh, I don't look at how many, I'm, I'm not a person that can, that is watching a TV show and saying, wow, look at all those extras. I wonder how much that day player made. Like, I, like occasionally that'll happen, but right. for the most part, I'm, I'm in. I'm still a fan. I'm still you like just, TV. I like TV. <laughs> I'm along for the ride. And so I go in with a open heart and believe mm-hmm. that you are going to satisfy. Like I am with you on your journey. I am trusting you that you are going to bring me to a place that is satisfying. And, and you know, sometimes you put your trust in for a long time, but I do have the, a, an ability to stay with the show for a really long time. And then if the end is not satisfactory to me, block it out. Oh, absolutely. So just completely right. like true, bl- true blood is still, this. true blood is still on the air and it ended <laughs> and uh, I'm not quite sure how it ended. It was very satisfying <laughs> and I didn't feel weird about it at all. Fair enough. Um, but I mean, cause you also, to their credit, you have to, 
that's a lot of pressure to to end something. And if you love something for five years, but you're not thrilled about how they ended it, cry me a freaking river. We did five years of awesome TV that you enjoyed. Absolutely. Sorry. You know, so it's, someone's always going to bitch about it. And so who am I to bitch about anything? And uh, so I, I do have that ability to just say, oh, that didn't happen. You can't see me. I'm under a blanket. <laughs> right. Which is a good attitude to have. Yeah. I mean, it is in part saying, well, it's all disposable anyway, but I'm invested in I'm getting in, there. I'm invested in getting there. And also I'm going to judge you by my, I'm going to, my opinion is based on the bulk of what I have sure. seen and the fact that you have gotten me, that I've been fully invested for five years. Yeah. So you've done something amazing. And <clears throat> if I'm, if there's an episode or an arc or something that I, that I don't like, well, that happens and someone else probably loves it. And it's not, exactly. you know, at the time you get really angry and you think like, what the, the heck? what's light fruit, you know, and you get all angry about light fruit. And then it's like, yeah, oh, light fruit's so bad. You're watching every week religiously. <laughs> Perhaps bad. maybe light fruit isn't a problem. <laughs> Uh, all right, I want to go back to uh, you're in your. And now I'm going to all day go. I shouldn't have said something bad about light fruit. That was really inappropriate. They know. They know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to go back to uh, you're in your your mid twenties in still in New Jersey. Yes. Uh, doing stand up comedy. Well, am I, I did stand up from like 19 to 23 okay. or four. Yeah. What was the What was the the uh, content of that stuff? <laughs> I'm really Crap. curious. Come crap. On. No, I did a lot the of self... The execution may have been crap, but what was No, the I, think the con- I think the execution was the better part. It was the mm. content that was crap, perhaps. Um, I did a lot of um, uh, guidette kind of jokes, like being an Italian girl from North Jersey. I did. A- it was mostly self-deprecating. I was a, mm-hmm. a chubby girl who d- made poor dating decisions, so there was a lot of like self-deprecating dating jokes. There was a lot of... Uh, Anger jokes that uh, people that I also was the a girl who commuted into the city, so I was mm-hmm. like the pumps in the purse girl. So there was a lot of jokes about, you know, people that eat liverwurst on the bus and a guy sure. who I was pretty sure shat his pants every day uh, when we were going through the tunnel. And I was just like, <laughs> do you really just wait to shit yourself when we're going through? Like the second they get through that toll, you're just like, mm, now I'm gonna just pop one out, you know? Like it was just horrible. But he didn't really do it. I think he just waited till it got dark to fart, maybe. But it, it was just horrible. Is this okay? Can I see? No way to live. Oh, okay, sorry. Oh no, give me give me a full, give me a good like five minutes. <laughs> give me your do, best five. I could oh, seriously. I could. I, it would be horrible. Were but. there comics at the time or before that you were looking to as either models or that you really enjoyed? I was. It's so funny as far as comics go. I was always super retro. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to read. Golden Age Superman, the earliest Batman, the earliest. Oh, really? Like, I always wanted... Where did those come from? Did your parents my sister, have them? Oh, my okay. sister, Deborah, would have stuff, and she would have, like, books, and I would go to the library. Like, you would go to the library, and my parents would be so excited, thinking that I was going to read something Funny. that would expand my mind, and I would be looking... Yeah, Superman I would be looking for a, a Superman from, like, 1940, <laughs> you know? Like, That's really funny. Um, but, um, yeah, I was always had a retro kind of interest, so... Funny. And what about um, comedians? Oh, you know, they had that um, women of... Oh, I'm sorry. You said comics. I'm thinking we're at Meltdown. I'm thinking you mean comics. Um, They had that Women of the Night um, special. That was when HBO first happened. And it was Paula Poundstone Mm -hmm. and um, Ellen DeGeneres and um, Judy... Tenuta? Mm-hmm, Judy Tenuta. And sure. uh, I can't remember who else off the top of my head, but that was one that I thought, like, oh, my God, this is Rita Rudner. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, this is this is what I wanted to do. Like, I really wanted to be – I thought – I loved Ellen DeGeneres. I loved that she was 
she was super funny, talked about personal stuff, but she wasn't too crass. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I cursed like a sailor and was very crass in mind, it was something that I really, <laughs> really admired the, the about her. Really, the shitting on the train was... The shitting on the train story was kind of, um, uh, yeah. And then I also had a neighbor that lived beneath me that would... <laughs> what? The masturbating neighbor that lived in the, in the, in the apartment below me. <laughs> and he would... And I knew he was masturbating because there was never anyone in his apartment. But he would, he would bang on the wall when he was achieving. He would bang oh, no. on the wall. <laughs> so I don't know how the poor people... Like, like it would be... Like, he would be like... like I don't know how the people who lived next to him oh dealt with it. God. But living above him, I was like, I don't want to know. It's right. bad enough that I know it's happening. I don't know when it's... I don't want to know when it's ending. Yeah, I don't I need to play pretend, by play. I don't need to play by play. I just wanted to not... <laughs> exist oh in my God. my world but um yeah but like eddie murphy but i was nowhere near i mean i was bad but that's right. who but i these are who are around that's and who are who, kind of that, inspiring yes definitely yeah. um and were you still writing at the time i was i was writing i i i, I was always would, would have about 50 pages of a of a screenplay or 50 pages of mm-hmm. I, I was big 50 was a big number it was always sure. halfway there and then give it up but i also wrote a lot of short plays mm-hmm. Um, Were you I was doing writing. things with them? Were you I was I was producing. I was putting them up. I worked okay. at a theater, um, um, the Williams Center for the Performing Arts mm-hmm. in Rutherford, for a little while, and it was a they had a live theater there, and so I would write these one act plays, and then I would they'd give me a break on renting the theater out for an <laughs> evening of one acts, and one was called Ellipsis because I was that. Well, this was. I was, was just horribly pretentious and just dumb as a box of hair, <laughs> and it was just it was really a problem. What. What were these plays about? Uh, I mean, there was a lot. There was like being stuck in traffic at a at a toll booth. It, it was the, you know the one that was about uh, the you know the there was a lot of like music things, and it mm. was you know there was one that it was a couple breaking up about her not understanding them debating about Born to Run versus Shout those two songs <laughs> like her thinking that Born to Run was her anthem, and no, her thinking that Shout was mm-hmm. the 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 big song of her her childhood and her boyfriend not being able to accept the fact that she's from New Jersey and it wasn't Born to Run and him, like, breaking down Born to Run for her and why that should have been. which like a great sitcom episode. Which, 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 but by the way, like, he has a point. I know he's not real, but it was really, and it was actually something that I was, I think it was me debating, like, that, you know, myself almost. But I did, I just wrote a lot um, of silly things that didn't really mean anything. It seems like... Both in some some of the stand-up stuff and these plays, like you're working out these premises in a narrative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this is all great practice for television. I think that's what I was doing was just practicing, and I didn't even I didn't even know it. And again, like you said before, like thank God I have a job mm-hmm. in television because otherwise I don't know what it was. I didn't go to college. I mean, I entertained college, but mm-hmm. I didn't really I wasn't really doing much of anything other sure. than writing and occasionally doing a play and so it does feel like practice and I definitely wrote all the time Mm -hmm. until I quit a job to be a writer and then suddenly it was like I just want to roll a really drink wine but um (laughs) what's on tv yeah seriously I'm just gonna the x-files great um yeah seriously that 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 time period when Xena and um Hercules were on Saturday nights if I wasn't working Saturday night um, that was, or, and then sometimes they read, and then they would replay them on. Or, I think they, I think they were on a Friday. Were they I on a Saturday? No they were on Saturday afternoons, maybe, um, like because they would replay right. old episodes. And yeah, you don't know because you're not a complete loser who would just be like, oh no, Zena I was just not into Zena and Hercules. Um, but I, yeah, I just spent a lot of time 
But I guess, again, that was studying in a way. Oh, absolutely. Well, again, the fact that you're doing it means it was all... Exactly. It was all part of my grand plan. Um, But you were... Was somewhere in your head, I want to make, or I want to write movies? Oh, oh, always. I mean, always. That was something that as soon as I knew that that was an option, that's what I wanted to do. TV was kind of secondary because I, I think even though I knew people wrote it, that seemed different. Mm-hmm. I always well, knew I wanted to. at the time, to... it was not. It was, yeah, exactly. Like, movies seemed, were more interesting and, and just seemed more achievable somehow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think as a kid watching, like, All in the Family, and I remember two of the shows that really, All in the Family and MASH mm-hmm. were, were things that I, I knew were written and knew were written well and thought, I will never be that good. Oh, they also just seemed, uh, I think there was also a, a male component to it where I felt like TV was yeah. written by men, but there was a chance for women in movies, maybe. I don't know. I well, think I, I think, thought again, that way. Maybe. 20 years ago, I think 20 that was years more ago, true. Yes. So, um, but yeah, I definitely wa- always pictured myself doing it, which is funny because there was nothing that said to me that that was a possibility. I mean, Tommy, that friend of the family, mm-hmm. did make that movie, so that says mm-hmm. it's a possibility for him, but there was nothing, there were no accomplishments in my life or, or you know, my, my high school play might have been well-received, but there was nothing that was telling me, um, you can do this other than me, and I have no idea where I got that confidence from. I wish I had had it back. Well, it seems like you just had this drive to write and create anyway. I did, and it's funny. I feel like it. I feel like it left a little. Like you get once you get a degree of success, then you're just trying to maintain that degree of success. And that's another reason when we're talking to that that writer at the Nerdist, Sarah. She was just so. She still had that fresh sheen of passion, (laughs) and and you just know that she left there and had like a a leather bound book that she was jotting (laughs) notes on. And I'm and I was and I was thinking like, oh crap, one of my fake eyelashes fell off, and I got to go to this Buzzfeed party. You know, like I just felt like so. I just. like a whore i felt like a dirty <laughs> dirty whore but um but Someone but then i did but i have to say and then later i was like that eyelashes maybe i could throw that in something you know i do think now i think more about lines and i mean i do still think have story ideas and mm-hmm. i do, do still jot stuff down but before i mean i used to it's so i will tell you the cheesiest thing in the world here are two really cheesy things in my waitressing days i would carry i carried a book in my um I had two. I had one book that was a small book that would be in a chain around my neck that was not, I'm blind as a bat, so I could never really write anything on it. But I had a little book that I would keep in my apron and I would jot down things. I would jot down snippets of dot, but I was mm-hmm. always jotting things down in my book all the time. In high school, I had a, a three ring binder and it would, and it had sections for like, characters, lines, story, like Absolutely. that whole thing. And I would carry it around like super seriously. <laughs> like, like it was like my little Bible. Well, that's really, I don't know. First of all, there's these writer affectations. Right? Oh my God. It was, like, that's exactly what it was. I think we've all had that. Did you do In stuff various, like that? Oh, of course. But what's of the most course. embarrassing thing that you did? There, I definitely had a notebook where I would write down ideas and, you know, snippets of dialogue uh, I hate having things in my pocket, so I didn't carry it with me. Did you wear it around your so neck? I was not so good no. at it. <laughs> so I lost a lot of things. But, like, I don't know. I feel like especially when you're in your 20s, you're getting so much input. So much is new to you that you're just firing, yes. right? You just want to get all of this stuff down, and you want to try to, if you're a writer, you want to try to organize it into mm-hmm. some sort of narrative. Mm-hmm. And so this notebook in high school 
is like an early, like it's it's an early attempt at a whiteboard. I mean, exactly. Really, it's, it's trying to organize these things into a way that's going to form something else. I think that's really interesting. It's funny. I do also have, I still have, it's funny. Did you see that documentary about Joan Rivers where she had mm-hmm. that, that wall of like mm-hmm. index cards? I mean, I do have, which is wildly impressive, but I do have little little boxes of index cards that I keep when I, if I have to, if there's a line that I love, cause you know, kill your darlings. If there's a line that I have that I just completely love, uh-huh. I'll jot it down and throw it in there. And then sometimes I'll just look through it on occasion just to see if I could steal anything from yeah. it. And I usually can't. And I usually right. don't reuse the lines, but it's just nice to have somehow. It still makes you feel like it's not all for nothing. Absolutely. My, you know? my partner and I have a thing called the idea file, which is literally a file and like what it may as well be the garbage but yeah. we get the idea down and we put it in and we never look at it but you know makes- should we ever have the time because that's the other thing is when once you're a working writer you're just you're moving you're writing for exactly. that show you're writing for that show you're thinking ideas for that show yeah. and you're just not it's that's why it's when you're on hiatus it's also great to kind of mm-hmm. usually on hiatus, you should be working on your own project or com- working on that passion project. But usually I'm just like blown out, you know, Absolutely. and I just want to not write and not think about it. And now, especially that I have a, a kid, I think if someone asked, like, I would be, can you write a, a scene? I would just burst into tears. And, um, but um, we just need one more scene for iZombie. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, um, tell them to make it up. Tell them to just, I will, I'll write 50 just in May. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little it's a little different. Like your passion for it, once you it's it's not like once you get paid for it, you don't have passion for it no. anymore. You do, but it you're but it lucky. Becomes a job. It becomes a job, and you're lucky if you get those projects that are just full on passion projects. Sure. So, Absolutely. and I c- like to call them unproduced pilots. <laughs> well, and you also find, I mean, many people still find pleasure in the actual execution of writing, and and I'm sure you do. At, at times. sometimes, I mean, right. most of the time, it's kind of just I I like the pre-writing and the having written, but the actual writing sure. is just me say, like thinking, you know, if I if I jumped off a bridge, I wouldn't have to finish the scene <laughs> that I'm not doing good enough at, you know, like I right. I'm one of those like tortured writers, really happy writers. I don't I don't understand. There's very few. There's few of them. I don't understand them, and when you meet one that's good, I just think that they're like I just yeah. don't. Um, but I remember, they're, right. but they're, my friend Liz, we, we were on vacation once, and she would get up at like five, and she'd be sitting there writing it by the pool and like a little oh. wicker egg, and she would get <laughs> scenes done. She would legitimately get well-written scenes done, and then have have her whole day of vacation. And I would need like my desk and my right. like exactly. my inspiration pictures and around me, my stuff, and I'd be all pented up. I would just Couldn't never. <laughs> I I could never. And she's yeah. like, she's amazing, and God, um. God, horrible, horrible. Person. But there's also when you're on the job, you're you, you can find joy elsewhere. Like people love being in the room, or they love you know being in post production. I love being on set. You know, there are so many other dis- different aspects which are still writing. It's still part of yes. the job, and it's part of telling the story. And I do like reading. I do like being in the room, and I, I do enjoy editing. Sometimes on set, I just feel like. Uh, like I want to be writing or I want to be doing things that I can't be doing. Like you want to be directing, you know what I mean? And I have delusions of directing and then you see how, and then you're, you're not the director, you're the writer. Shut up, (laughs) you know, but. What um, what do you think directing would give you that writing doesn't? More control. I mean, I think that that's, one of the reasons I was so happy when Rob was directing the pilot was that you knew that we, yeah. the thing that we were thinking that we wanted, we knew that we would get because yeah. we had the same 
idea of it, we knew what we wanted. We knew what we wanted it to sound like. We knew what we wanted it to look like, and and so it's safe. But um, uh, you know, I feel like it would give you it gives you control of, of of you know you get to see have it executed the way you have it in your in your head versus giving it to someone and then having their opinion of what it is sure. put out there. But so. there's also that thing, and I've worked with a partner almost 15 years now that. How do you how do you and your partner get on the same page? Well, that's as I'm saying this. I'm saying it's a little like Robin. We're not always the on the thing. same page, but we're clo- we're close to the same mm-hmm. page. But it's also I'm also very aware of it being a project that Rob brought me in on. If it was a pro- oh, if it was my project and I brought him on, I think the dynamic would be different. But it was they came to him and said, "We want you to do iZombie," and he said, "I'll do it if I could do it with Diane." So. Mm-hmm. While that's us together creating it, it's still, I yeah. probably wouldn't have gotten in the room if he didn't, you know, I was in the room because he Im- invited me into the room. Mm-hmm. So, um, but. Uh, Which I feel like is, you know, often the case if, or at least that's the way my partner and I work. It's, you know, you care more about this project. You're more passionate. I don't think it was, it's funny. It's like, I thought I was the passionate one. I mean. Oh, he, sure. But I mean, there's usually someone leading. There's someone leading. Well, also, I think it's weird because with, with Rob, yeah. we, I mean, we've done one thing together that was just us together from the beginning. We did this one um, pilot, which is funny enough, was called Empire, which is kind of funny no. now. But, um, but we, that was something that was us from the beginning, just us together. Mm-hmm. Um during Veronica Mars and and this was us from the beginning too but they had they had right. come to him with the project but i i was i'm the the bigger right. zombie fan and the bigger comic like the book fan stuff. so i you know was definitely yeah. he was on he was a little on the fence about it in the beginning yeah. just cuz he was also so busy but um uh yeah i just the second they said he said i zombie i was like okay let's do it yes that's really funny um, I want to ask about. Um, I have a whole list of things I want to oh. talk about, but um, oh, let's let me go back so we just can kind of put a cap on this. Um, so you had again the waitress to working writer story. Um, what was the screenplay that came out of that? That and and you sort of picked up a mentor, right? Yes, Who, I had a. Did that person help you put together? This screenplay help you finish I mean, it? I mean, he definitely did. He put me on a writing schedule, and yeah. every week I would give him pages, and he gave me notes. So you got past and, 50. Yes, I got past 50. <laughs> I started at 10, and then every week he would come in, and I'd give him 10 more pages. And he definitely gave me notes and, I mean, <clears throat> walked me through a lot and mm-hmm. was an enormous help. And then once I sold it, I sold it to Columbia for Nora Efron, and then she came on and gave me her notes, mm-hmm. and I worked with her um, development person, Mary Pat, and... So they, I think I, I said this in the in the other nurses panel that the first thing Nora said to me is like, "I really love your script. You should get this book called Story." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Oh right. Jesus!" Um, and meanwhile, I was That's stealing funny. a napkin from her house because she had these napkins that said Nick and Nora for her and her husband, oh and I just God. was so excited that I was in her house <laughs> that I stole a napkin so I could bring it to people. Um, <laughs> so great, such <laughs> a dork. Um, was it a Nora Ephron type movie? Like what it we wasn't. expect from her? Oh, it really? wasn't, but. In the rewriting, became, they're making so. more of a. So that was a. That was kind of. I hadn't really. I mean, I. I wrote kind of a dark indie. I mean, it was about a suicidal writer who couldn't commit suicide because she had writer's block and couldn't write the note. And so while it was funny, it was also very dark. And it was like I was in a dark suicidal place. So there was a lot of dark suicidal stuff. And this it became more of a romantic comedy and a little bit more mm-hmm. light, which was 
fine. It was just very right. different. And when I um, but you got were it doing back, the rewrites, huh? I was doing the rewrites That's of it. Great. And then eventually I got it back, and I was there was a chance I, I would direct it. This was a, a few years oh, wow. ago after Veronica Mars. Yeah. And when I was rewriting it, I was kind of bringing it back to the Funny. to the dark side a little. Um, but um, yeah, it wound up never getting made. Sure. But. As, as most movies do. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. Um, so so this was a, must have been a pretty big entree into the business for you. Yeah, I mean, it was... You know, you had a, a feature that someone wanted to make. Yes. Um, and someone paid me for yeah. Like, I... That's yeah. enormous. Yeah. Um, so what what came next? I mean, I imagine that got you an agent and that... That got me an agent, kind of but kind of simultaneously, meetings. like, soon after that. I mean, I immediately had... Was, was having meetings and a lot of feature meetings. and yeah. But very soon after that, I mean, within weeks, um, once the sale went through, there was an article about me, which I thought was in the New York Times, but it, it was in the Daily News. And it was, it was from that article that a producer, a television producer, read it. And that's how I got right. the, um, the TV show. That's how, what made them think of me for this TV show. So it was very so. soon after that I got called about writing this pilot. And I had no idea how to write a pilot. I'd yeah. never seen a pilot. And the funny thing is the pilot script that they sent to me was for the West Wing. <laughs> and no pressure. Well, not only no pressure, but also that's not the normal structure no. of a television <laughs> show. So I started using that as my oh, template, wow. and it was, um, you know, a little different. But um, so this uh, this was a was it a project that was pitched to you? No, well, How did basically, this work? My, my in this article, I had mentioned that I had gone to college oh, okay. um, briefly in an early uh, after high school, but then had gone back to college for a little bit at twenty seven. Right. And the network was looking to do the 30-something answer to Felicity. So mm-hmm. they wanted, like, an older person but doing a college experience. And the woman, the producer, Anita Addison, had just read my feature and liked it and then read this article and saw that I, I had, coincidentally, the college thing. So she asked me if I would be interested in writing a show about that. And I came up with the – I pitched her a story again not knowing much about pitching. And Mark St. Germain, the, um, the writer who had helped me put me on a writing schedule, kind of helped me with that mm-hmm. as well. Like, I would – I said, like, what's it, how do I, do I pitch this way? And I would tell him the story, and he would say, oh, yeah, that's how you do it. Um, and so I pitched them the story. And, and, again, not knowing that that's how it works. Right. Like, you, you come out, you pitch multiple places, and then they <laughs> give you notes. Like, there was none of that. I, I talked to them over the phone. I wrote up oh, a little wow. two-page thing, and then they had me write a script. There was no outline. There was no – it was just – it was insane. And then it got made, and, you know, <laughs> and Ellen Burstyn and Paul Sorvino, and, like, it, it was just insane. It was crazy. What was your role in the eventual show? So problematic because they, the producer at the time, they really loved, it was, it was so autobiographical and yeah. so in my voice that she wanted to protect me and keep it my voice. So there was a, a showrunner in the beginning, but he wasn't really empowered to do things. And he was so much more accomplished than me and should have been empowered to yeah. do things, but, but wasn't. And I wound up writing almost every episode of the first season. There was a writer's room that I'd never even really went into and didn't know that that's the biggest douche move. I just didn't know. I, wouldn't, sure. I was never on calls. Like she prote- I was never on a notes call until the end of the first season. I so didn't you know. Didn't no, she didn't learn anything about TV. You not until, kind of not until two people scripts. left. So we had the one showrunner, and he wound up leaving. And I, I don't blame him at all, like sure. rightfully so. Like I, was, I would come up with ideas on my own and write things on my own. I just didn't know any better. And this other producer, in an effort to protect me, was kind of helping me, but I didn't know any better. And anyway, um, 
so after he left, they brought on another producer, and he was of the mind that Diane just needs to write every episode. So I was just writing and writing. It's funny, at one point he said, I wish this was were the 80s, this was the 80s, so that you, I could just offer you some coke. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> and he was like, but if I could find some coke, and I was oh like, because oh I had just written three episodes back to back, I was having like a nervous breakdown. Oh and um, anyway, the, at the end of the first season, they brought in a new showrunner, and then she was the person that just made there be a writer's room and kind of set the show right. So, of course, I was heartbroken about it. Um, she was from Tex- She was a lovely woman, but she was from Texas, and she grammatically corrected some of the dialogue, which I just made me insane. But <laughs> she was great, and she was v- very accomplished, and she, she had had a, a wonderful show called Homefront that had been on the air for many years. And um, But I, it was just not my show anymore, and I was. that's when it became school. That's when I paid attention to, I learned how the room was supposed to work. And there had been a writer there the whole time, this woman, Anne McGrail, who's a great writer. And she, she kind of took me under her wing a little bit too. And she was explaining like, this is why everybody's pissed off and this is how it should be. And I'm like, really, why aren't they, why aren't we doing it that way then? But, um, then in the second season, I called the show Touched by a Guinea because it just went so, uh, it was so like, I'm already only 33% Italian, so I already thought like I was already out Italianing <laughs> myself. And they had made fun of the show on The Sopranos. Um, they called it that fake Guinea show, and I was so pissed because oh Terrace God, Winter wrote really? the episode, and I'm like, I'm totally more Italian than you, Terrace <laughs> Winter. But, um, but it was actually good because it came out during staffing season after I hadn't worked for a while, and I was pretty excited about that because then it was, there was some buzz. But... Um, but um, <laughs> But it was, like, so I'm already, like, feeling like, yeah, I'm Italian, and yes, I grew up in that community, but um, but this is a woman was, like, a southern woman from Texas, and she just, like I said, she grammatically corrected some stuff, and then it just became, like, very fake Italian, like, uh-huh. super fake Italian, <laughs> and super, like, there was a, you know, an at- at-risk youth place that this motorcycle guy was working at. Like, it just became, uh, they wanted a procedural, so... We made it that she took up sports medicine. So then there was a case of the week that was a sports injury. Like, it just, it went off the rails. And um, so it started off as this very kind of, like, personal story. I'll call it the uh, North Jersey Italian parenthood, maybe. (laughs) And um, that's being exceedingly generous to myself, by the way. It was nothing like that. But, and then it became what I called Mm -hmm. Touch by Guinea. Which is uh, offensive. I'm I'm mad at myself as I'm saying it, but that's what I... Don't worry, no one listens to this. Um, Did you... Were you turned off by the experience of having this thing? It was you... really depressing, but I also learned a lot about editing, and I learned sure. a lot about production. And so I was a little, it was a little depressing, but at the time I was still writing my own things, and I still, mm-hmm. once it was over, I thought, I'll have another project, and this will, I'll go back to writing my passion project. And actually the next project I wrote was a superhero project. And really? Yeah, and it was, um, I actually, it, it's back to being mine, and I actually might do, but it was two, two best friends who wound up getting, two female best friends who wound up getting powers and... Mm-hmm. Um, I love a, a, you know, a a loser who, everybody loves a loser who winds up getting special powers and fights crime. But, um, so I wrote this and I thought it was the greatest thing and I was super into it and no one bought it. And I wrote a feature and no one bought that. And then I didn't work for about a year and a half and I had just bought a house right when, um, right for the second season of That's Life. And the day I moved in, I think it was the next day the show got canceled. So I was saying this, and I don't know if I just did this NPR interview, and I might have been saying it on that, but when I bought the house at the top of my street was the big poster, is Paramount, and there's uh-huh. the big poster for my show, and then above that is the Hollywood sign. And literally I moved in, and they're, like, taking the poster <laughs> down, and, like, fog is, is falling down on the Hollywood sign. It's like, it's all over, lady. But um, oh so God. the first job I got was Veronica Mars. The first job I got oh, wow. post 
Yeah. Um, my own show was, was Veronica Mars, and I was terrified. I thought, I can't write anything that I... I, I can only write my own stuff. Right, and, I'm curious about and that. And Rob really responded to my other two scripts, and he said, no, you're going to be great, you're going to be great, and I was terrified. And I did all this research. I mean, I had already been a big noir fan, but I watched every... I mean, I went to Rocket Vid- Video. At the time, I had nice. been... That was my social life, was going to Golden Apple. Sorry, I'm in Meltdown saying <laughs> going to Golden Apple, but I could walk there. Um, was going to um, Golden Apple and Meltdown all the time and and going to Rocket Video. That was like... I felt like I was kind of fake dating those guys when they were really just only talking to me because I was purchasing things. But um, um, I'm sure that was not the case. But I literally got every noir movie and did all this like studying sure. but when I got there it was more and, and while I did obviously bring story to the table and helped mm-hmm. with that the real thing was voice and mm-hmm. that you can't study and that right. you, you can't watch movies and, well, and that's get a, that that's what I'm really curious about having written your own stuff for so long that's a very different job than writing someone it's else's so different voice. but it's also I feel like wit and Ball breaking kind of translates. It's just sometimes your wit and ball breaking doesn't speaks in a little bit of a different way. But I'm very, I'm pretty sarcastic and pretty quick witted. I'd like to think, and that Veronica Mars was very had her sarcastic moments and her and was very quick um, witted and um, and kind of a, a badass. And I like to think of my, you know tough New Jersey person and badass aren't too far afield, you know, so I feel like it worked well. I just had to tweak from being, uh, you know, to, to, to being a younger person, but she also Mm -hmm. sounded a little older for her age, Mm -hmm. but it just, the voice kind of, I just fell right into it. It's very, she sounds, I mean, we sound a lot alike. She's just much cuter and does cooler things. (laughs) Come on. Um, what was the was there a figuring out and I may have talked to Rob about this in the past, but was there a figuring out of what that show was both at the beginning and kind of season to season? Rob and Dan Etheridge had spent so much time talking about Veronica Marsden before anyone was yeah. even there. I mean, Rob had so much locked down and knew so much of what he wanted that, yes, obviously, the first season, the writers helped. But the thing that we, we knew going in was that we were going to solve the mystery the first year mm-hmm. um, and and then come up with a mystery every every other year and but we didn't have to the world was already I mean, mm-hmm. I mean Rob had that locked down he knew everything and um uh, so there wasn't too much of of finding our way it was more finding our way in the mysteries and then once we saw how well Veronica and Logan played together mm-hmm. that becoming a romantic storyline was sure. something that we found within the first season and yeah. things like that were there for you as a writer on staff there, were there particular challenges to that show? Um, I mean, the, the mystery of the week was definitely hard to come up with at times because mm-hmm. we did want it to be noir, so we did want a lot of twists and turns, but also she is a high school girl, so keeping it realistic, staying away from too much technology, but having enough stuff that's yeah. cool. And there was, there, was a, there was a lot of balls in the air in, in that way. But... Um, and that was all, cha- those were all broken in the room. Those right? were all, yeah, everything yeah, was broken in, in the room. And I mean, challenges for me personally were, were and this is, I, I developed a particular skill set, um, which was I can do research that I maintain 
um, the knowledge of whatever I'm researching for like long enough as, as it takes me to write and produce the <laughs> script, and then it just leaves me. Like during sure. I, we did the first episode I wrote was called Wrath of Khan, and I think that's what made Rob actually like me was that title because I was, he's like, all right, we're the same. He's a con artist, so it's uh-huh. C O N, and yep. um, again, nerd. But um, uh, but she, there was a whole poker. Um, Oh, no, that wasn't the poker episode. That was the gaming Comic-Con kind mm-hmm. of, oh, a sure. gaming expo yeah. episode. And I knew nothing about gaming. I didn't play games. I didn't ever go to a video gaming cafe. And I had to do all of that oh, to funny. learn because I talked to people. I would call people, do you have friends? Who, I have this friend, and he knows. And I, I talked to, like, ten different friends of friends and then went, went gaming with one friend of friend on a faux date that was really bizarre. <laughs> and I, that's when I realized that I have complete, like, motion sickness with video games. And so the whole time I'm just trying not to throw up and I suck at them. But um, I'm like, can't we just play Papa Shot? This is really... Can we do a Papa Shot episode of Veronica Mars? Um, but uh, that was a fun thing to learn, was that you could mm-hmm. learn all about poker and write the po- poker episode, right. learn all about... Uh, you know, just all. You can be different. an expert in this thing. You can be an expert this for this time. amount of time. You know, <laughs> That's really and funny. Um, yeah. So that was something. That's but cute. as far as like big challenges, I mean, Rob is really great at. He is the the person in, in charge, mm-hmm. and when there's battles to be fought. Rob is the one fighting them, so I think he he's he's the person that that more f- falls onto. So if the network wants some changes, it's really Rob is the person that goes in there and mm-hmm. and fights our battles That's and great. to protect that to protect vision, yeah. his his vision That's rightfully so so yeah. and he's extremely eloquent and yeah. fair and so um, did he rewrite a lot? We did a lot of rewriting. Oh, that really? was I think that was the he did do a, of, of course a lot of rewriting, but that was I think another thing that made us yeah. work well together is that he did rely on me to do a lot of. That's great. I mean, so, that's an enormous gift for a showrunner. Yeah, which is why he very he within the first season he had me promoted, which doesn't happen a lot, and then the second season he had me promoted again, and I think that's it awesome. was just that um, like he went to the bat for me, and I think one of the reasons was that he knew that he could pass scripts to me to do like a comedy polish or to just do a a rewrite because we did sound we do I can sound very much like him. We do mm-hmm. sound a lot alike, so it was which is so funny because when I was doing my show, there was one writer. And I said, she sounds so much like me. I don't need her. I already have me, which was huh. so stupid. Now I'm thinking, yeah. like, oh, my God, if I had her, my life would have been so much easier. But I was so worried about someone stealing the show, which they wound up doing anyway, that um, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, oh that um, I should have, if I would have hired her, everything would have been fine. So, um, but I think we, that was, very quickly on Veronica Mars, like, by the second episode, it be, became very clear that I was in sync with Rob. and That's that, um, And that I would person. be his number two. Yeah. For the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, are you guys co-show running iZombie? No, Rob is very much the showrunner. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm what I like to call the writer monkey. And <laughs> that he says here, and then I just go off and lock myself in the room and write oh, stuff. Really? But, um, you yeah, know, he's very much the showrunner and, and is great. He's a great showrunner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that skill set is is a very different skill set than writing. Absolutely. But um, he definitely, you know considers me and you know, we do talk about things and I'm definitely a pre- it's not like I'm not a oh, presence. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, but I'm. Well, it sounds the number, like you're. I'm the number two. Yeah. So, but yeah. it sounds like you're in a huge way a voice of the show. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's definitely what I bring to the table is voice. That's so, but um, but he's definitely the boss. <laughs> yes, it's funny. I, I had, let that be on record. Let that be on record. No, it's so funny because I had written something on Facebook referring to my son as the boss, and I just, but I wasn't saying. I said. 
was with the boss today. He demanded an apple and was writing this whole thing on Facebook, clearly talking about my son, (laughs) but referring to him as my boss. And in the comments, Rob wrote, I still don't understand why I'm not holding a fucking apple right now. (laughs) It was pretty funny. Um, This may seem an odd question, or maybe not. Why are you not in half-hour comedy? Uh, I don't know. I did one. I wrote John Embaum, who was on Veronica mm-hmm. Mars and did Party Down. He had a half hour called Free Agents, and I worked on oh, that sure. while, while it was around. Um, but uh, I don't know. I haven't even pitched. I pitched one half hour once. I haven't really. I guess maybe people don't. It's funny because a lot of times I'll hand in a script and they say, if only this was a half an hour, if only this were a half hour. And I think, well, I can make it a half hour. Do you want to buy it again? Like, you know, I'm like, that would require a big rewrite. But I do. I, I actually wrote a pilot a few years ago, God, about five years ago now. And I, it was an hour and I had pitched it and they knew it was going to be, it was like a Shaun of the Dead haunted house type show. And um, they got it. And at the time, the person who was the head of the, the, network said he didn't understand why it was so funny and i and i said I, it was a dramedy like i pitched it as a comedy it's supposed to be funny but i think that that confuses people a lot of right. times yeah. and I think um if we were all writing for the bbc it would be okay we'd get these great 40 minute oh my god i'd be so comedy sad dramas. it would be amazing yeah. but i think i but don't know but also half an hour rooms are hard. that was my first experience in a half an hour room and i was such a bitch because i didn't know i mean after the fact when i realized that what they do when you hand in a script is they all sit around and try to top your jokes and free agents as i recall had like alexa was on that show alexa had, who's amazing like, real sitcom writers yeah like pretty <laughs> emily cutler like yeah. it was it had real people like amazing people but i didn't know and so i just knew that i handed in my script and I knew I didn't want to do that table thing. And I told John, like, I don't want to be around for that. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be around for that. But I just figured he wouldn't do that with my script. Like, I just figured, <laughs> oh, that's Diane's okay. script. We don't need to do that. We'll just hand in Diane's script the way it is. And when I found him, he did it, I was like, John, you know, that's really disrespectful. And John's like, Diane, first of all, shut up. Second of all, no, he was great about it. But I mean, I felt so bad because I just didn't know that that was sure. a real thing about how it, how it works. And, um, but I think, that writing as a community is not my my bag. It's hard. It's I don't. Hard. It's a I don't. Thing. Especially when you have a specific kind of um, sense of humor. Like I don't think mm-hmm. it's just mine is necessarily universal. I don't. I don't think I would be great at writing other. Mm-hmm. Well, you're half not hours. writing jokey jokes, which is often yeah. Those so, which is funny because when we were when we went to watch the pilot for iZombie, we watched uh, for the premiere night. We were in Austin. Um, and Rob has a friend who owns the Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. So we watched the pilot live, and then we watched episode two. Fun. And episode two is mine, and is, a, is an episode that I wrote. And um, there were so many lines that I thought were jokes that you see, um, like some of them would get laughs, like the bigger ones would get laughs, right. but the other ones they're just they're just amusing lines. They're not jokes. They're just. You smile and nod. You smile and nod, <laughs> or you find it amusing, but right. they're not jokes, and that's really what I... I'm a smile and nod, and the occasional laugh. I'm not a just laugh, 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 so... On the page. On the page, unless it's telling a story about someone pooping on a bus. Well, sure, that's universal. Then I'm L-O-L, baby, <laughs> L-O-L. Um, are you... Do you have trouble rewriting... And like myself you, or other people yourself, do you get, do you get precious <laughs> about a, yourself? I, you know, it's so funny. I've, the thing that I've learned and I have to constantly remind myself is I'm so much better with time. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe everyone is better with time, but the things that I would like, I'd look at pilots that I, changes I didn't want to make that I now think I would make that in a second. Like mm-hmm. if you're, are you going to make it? 
That scene can go. We don't need that yeah. character. But it's hard. You when want you're that dude to be a girl? It. I'll make him a snake. <laughs> I don't care. But when you're living with it in the moment, you think that can't possibly be a snake. Um, and then you walk away from it and you're like, oh, wait, I could do it as a snake if I, but I tend to get really close to it and have a really hard time sure. when I'm in the zone. But if I walk away for just a couple weeks, mm-hmm. then I could rewrite myself a little bit better. But that's also one of the benefits of working with, with Rob is Robbie's Rob is really disciplined and really good about keeping mm-hmm. the trains running on time. So you, you can't be precious. If mm-hmm. you, if you have to cut pages, you have to cut pages, which is really funny because we did an episode this year and I, um, was cutting, had to cut pages, and I wound up, my lung partially collapsed. I had this weird thing where I had, like, remember when I was in the hospital? I was in the, yeah. Um, my friend Allison's here, and that's who I'm talking to. Sorry. Um, you can't see I'm, her. I may as well leave. <laughs> Just leave. But anyway, I had this weird thing where I had, like, pneumonia or whatever it was like it was also just like a pulled muscle or something like my husband would argue that it wasn't that but anyway um i wound up being in the hospital for like three days so i was at work cutting pages and then wound up having to leave and wound up being in the hospital for three days and rob said you will do absolutely anything to get out of cutting pages (laughs) and i thought god if had i only known that all i had to do was be in the hospital (laughs) for three days i would never cut another page in my life please shoot this as is Uh, yes please shoot this as is diana's in the hospital it's my please shoot leaving that joke um, but, uh, but I do feel good about cutting other people's pages. No, I do feel well, good about so rewriting. Easier. I've re- been rewriting so long mm-hmm. and rewriting for Rob so long that I feel pretty, not rewriting Rob, but rewriting other yeah. people to present to Rob for so long that I feel pretty confident about it. But then it's hard. There's some writers that I have a really hard time rewriting and that's writers that I don't feel I write similar to. Oh, so they still might do a fantastic job of writing the show, but it's not. Um, a similar writing style, mm-hmm. and I find it hard to um, sure. get in there. Absolutely. What, and it's usually people that are a lot smarter than me, and so I think, like, that's probably how people You, you just trust their speak, confidence. And I just tr- I trust that, um, you know, the kid that just graduated from Yale possibly <laughs> knows how to formulate a sentence better than me, but then... Uh, better than I. Better than I. See? <laughs> Thank just... you. Um, yeah, there was one line, like... It's hard to not. You want to rewrite it, and I think, am I just dumbing it down? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, or am I writing well, how people speak? Right, it's being true to. It's being true the piece. to. It's really. It's hard. hard. It's hard. So, but I think oh, you know this first season of I Zombie. There were some other writers that I had that rewriting was very very easy mm-hmm. for me, and was able to keep some of their material and got and was able to really effectively do rewrites, and it mm-hmm. was kind of fun and good and was happy with the overall you're getting something juicy to work with yes and or even or sometimes you're getting something that you're not using but you're using the framework Mm -hmm. and you don't feel like you have to you can you can cut the whole thing and use the framework um it's harder when you want to keep some stuff and then finding out how to keep that and write around it is the harder thing a lot of times and that's that's something that's very difficult um what do you? What is the stuff you think you're still learning as a writer? Um, I don't that. That's a <laughs> learning good one. learning how to to that every epi- every line in every episode is not the, the death of you. Mm-hmm. That sometimes like I, if you as the season goes and you watch episodes, you think, oh my god, I remember that scene how I fought so hard and it seemed so life or death to keep that line or to have this storyline and and eventually it, it won't really matter. And I still haven't learned that. I still haven't learned to. I'm much better about kind of letting things 
sly, but it's still everything seems so important, mm-hmm. and it's, it's kind of just being a little bit easy, more easy breezy about it is something that I'm I'm still learning, and I think I'm also still learning how to uh, when I'm on work as effectively on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I want to maintain the system that I have with Rob on my own, and um, and I can do that. It's just I still am I still I don't get enough practice at that because I work with Rob so much that sure. I still want to learn how to be my own Rob. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so. yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing, right? After you're working with someone, or even working with a room for so long, to discover whether or not you still have your voice. Whether or not you still have your voice, and whether yeah, and I was nervous doing iZombie that. Um, I was hoping that Rob and I would still be that we would still be as connected. That I was still, even though we created the show together and the show sure. very much is in both of our voices, I was still worried that maybe it somehow wouldn't, or maybe there'd be another writer who would somehow <laughs> be better at being me than I am. You know, and yeah. and I still always I think that's one of the things that Rob jokes about is he always thinks that he's going to get a promotion, and I always think that I'm going to get fired. <laughs> so. That's kind of like a good like dynamic. Of those is a good attitude. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle uh, well, is really said, where you should he live. Said, no, he says that jokingly. I mean, yeah. he doesn't obviously think that, but um, I do always. So it's coming to the. It's it's learning that you should actually be comfortable being at the table and know that you're supposed to be. That that's where you're supposed to be. I think that's good advice, especially for people who are just getting hired on staffs so or mm-hmm. just kind of getting their break. Um, just to wrap up. Is there? I think we talked about what you're watching before, but we'll we'll hit that in a sec. Um, I don't think we actually did. Did we not get to it? What we're watching? What I'm watching oh, now? Oh, you know, now, we but... didn't because we ran out of time. So yeah. we'll get to that. I'll ask you in a minute. But is there is there a show that left to your own devices that, given you know your druthers, you would create, or a, is there a, an area that you are particularly drawn to? So is there a show that I wish I created? Yeah, or that you. That is something you would like. What's I'm not saying what's next because you're clearly you're on iZombie for a while. You guys have your hands full, but is there is there a show that you want to see in the world? Oh, definitely. That you think I mean, is something I only you could do. Yes, definitely. And and I have that. It's like a passion project that I've been working on for a while, and I kind of can't wait to get back to. It. And again, it's so funny because it's more more of a personal story. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we said. Uh, is that I spent so much time before I zombie in development, and a lot of time it was these. A lot of times it was these personal, mm-hmm. ripped from the headlines of my life things that you would sell your soul to make, and they don't happen. And then I zombie happened very, very easily. Mm-hmm. And so I would like to go back to the struggle <laughs> and the heartbreak of Absolutely. having a personal story. <laughs> um, but there are there are other shows that I watch that I think, oh my god, please, why why didn't I come up with that, or why, or mm-hmm. can I please? please write on that and then you almost wouldn't want to write on it because you're sure. such a fan that you don't want to um I, I went out on a pitch with Gail Ann Hurd and she, who's just so badass she's just so badass I can't even take I was nine months pregnant at the time and I, I kept thinking like if I go into labor right now she will still expect me to finish this pitch like <laughs> I could be the baby would the be baby. Crying, crowning and she'd be like why are you pausing and I would feel like a wuss for pausing but she's she's amazing I love that woman and um and there was a part of me that thought this was a very good experience, and she seems to mm-hmm. to like me. Maybe I can par- parlay this to a gig on The Walking Dead. And I just thought, oh my god, like that would be so much. I'm such a dork. First of all, I'd be there stealing everything because all I would <laughs> want to is just steal all. Like, look, I have a script from episode season one. But um, I, I I don't know if I could separate my fandom from being 
productive because I would be like, they would pitch something happening to Carl and I would, I would hold the room hostage, you know, (laughs) like there would be, you know, the first thing I would do is say like, can we just set up that Judith is fine? And I didn't see last week, by the way, so don't tell me anything, but like, can we just, I can't, Judith is the new Vincent. Like I'm lost. (laughs) I was so, whenever there would be an episode and you wouldn't see Vincent, I'm like, can't they just put up a card that says like, Diane, Vincent's okay. He's (laughs) napping with a polar bear or something like anything just so the whole time I'm not worried they're going to find that dog dead. Um, with Judith, like I just yes. I want to put her in like a hamster ball of safety and just know she's going to be okay. When they ended that season with the bloody, uh, I I almost wanted to call. I wanted to email Gail and be like, "Look, this is weird. Can you please just like <laughs> tell me it's okay? I can't take it." But so I, as much as I look at those shows and think, "Oh, how badass would it be mm-hmm. to be on?" I actually one show I didn't. I actually had a chance to be on that I didn't go on because I was too big of a fan was, was Caprica. And I was such a big fan of Battlestar that when that show came, they were interested in hiring me and I didn't even do it. Like I didn't even entertain doing it because I wanted to see it so badly, which is now in retrospect, I'm like, what an idiot. But, um, yeah. Uh, what else are you into these days? What are you watching? Obviously the walking dead and watching game of Thrones and, Mad Men. And I, I watched a lot of BBC. Like, I loved that Grantchester show. <laughs> I, I was really good. I, I loved it. I, yeah. I really loved it. But I, um, so, Had I mean. some priests solving mysteries? Come on. And, <laughs> a, a, but, a, like, a, a hard-drinking, lots of sex, handsome priest, like, a vicar, I should say. Oh. But, um, I mean, obviously, I'm obsessed with Orphan Black and, um, uh, I mean, who's, who isn't? But then I have, like, a lot of shows that are, like, like you wouldn't think that I would watch that kind of take out like my sci-fi cred just falls to shit when I say that I religiously watch I can't like I watch Nashville because there's I'm no, listen I still watch Survivor there's nothing wrong yeah I watch Nashville by the way it's like it's not We're that there's anything democratic society. yeah it's not that there's anything wrong with it it's just that that's so different right. from all the sci-fi shows that I watch but I Deacon Claiborne is just like I will watch him like <laughs> hold this water bottle and I would just be like did you see like you he really wanted to hold that water bottle like I I hook line and sinker um but um and then there's there's shows that are on the air now that I'm watching earlier seasons like I'm watching season two of the vampire diaries I'm watching season four of supernatural um maybe I should be working more tending to my child but fuck it there's you know I do it on occasion every once in a while I'll go back and watch like a season of the X-Files, Absolutely. but, um, um, so I do that a lot. I actually started watching two, uh, Pretty Little Liars, and I burned through, like... Oh, I watched the first two seasons, like... I watched the first two seasons literally in 15 minutes. Like, I don't know, it's just, there was, like, a time-space continuum thing that happens, and all of a sudden, like, I'm like, why is, why is my son just eating a box of crackers he was able to pull off the counter, and, like, and I'm just like, who is A? Yeah, he's 14, like, my, yeah, um... But yeah, so I'm trying to think of what else. But then there's shows that I love, like I love the Mindy Project. I'm obsessed with her and um, uh, Parks and Rec. I cannot get. I haven't seen the last four episodes because I just don't want it to be to be over. You will be satisfied. I will be satisfied. Okay. They they stuck the landing. All right. Good. (laughs) I'm excited. So Uh, yeah, that's great. It's nice to talk to a a TV writer who still watches and enjoys TV. Oh my God, I have to stop. It's rarer than you think. No, oh, and you know what else? I am watching Empire and Mm -hmm. Cookie. I mean, come on, Cookie. Why? (laughs) Why is she not my friend? Why are we not like? I just want to hang out with her. I should hang out with her. Don't you think? I would watch that show. Have you be way more into that? You and Cookie hanging out. Come on. I mean, I want to fight crime with Cookie. That's my next show. 
fighting, cr- fighting crime Empire's cookie. probably not coming back. But yeah, seriously. I mean, who's watching? <laughs> Just everyone I've ever uh, met. Dan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having a delight, me. As always, you're a delight. Um, correct. And thank you for the for the little baby water. Don't let people know how cheap we are with the water. No, you offered a large water, and I took the baby. And it's perfect because now I can down it and throw it out and not um, feel weird. I Zombie is on CW. Yes. Tuesdays. Tuesdays after the Flash at nine o'clock. Nice guys, so, that's a good double hit. Um, man. And I said this before, and I think it'll be on the South by Southwest podcast that we put out. But uh, if you liked Veronica Mars, like that DNA is so strong. Yes. In I Zombie, we rubbed it all over. The, we, we just really rubbed that did. DNA all over the show. Go in there with a black light. <laughs> you'll just be. Out. You'll be appalled. Gross. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Now leaving Nerdist.com.